0: Hey there, my lovely welcome to the C Word podcast. Thank you for being here. I hope that you're having an amazing day, a brilliant week, and you've got lots of awesome things planned for your weekend, whenever that is. Might start tomorrow, might be Monday for you, maybe it is your weekend and you're giving me a little a slice of that, in which case I am very, very grateful. Now, if you have listened to my very last podcast before this, you will know that I spoke about 10 things, my top 10 things that I would do now if I was a startup again, if I was starting my business today in the current environment. And it was quite useful and interesting to reflect on that. But then what I thought I might also do as a sequel to that is the 10 things that I would not do now if I was starting my business. So I wanted to think about maybe some of the things that I did which didn't really serve me, didn't get me the results that I wanted, maybe held me back to some degree and share those with you too. So buckle up because that's what today's episode is about. My top 10, don't do that next time, Beckys. Okay, so like with my top 10 things I would do now if I was a startup. These things, these things that I would not do, it's my things. They're personal. It is no reflection on what you choose to do in your business or what might be working for you. When I share this, I just want it to be something that might inspire you, might help you to think a little bit differently in your business, or maybe get a new perspective on something that you are doing that maybe isn't working out how you hoped or how you planned. So let's get into it. My first thing, and these are definitely in no particular order, but the first thing that I would not do, I don't even know if I'm going to do it anymore now, if I'm honest, is do any paid ads, particularly paid Facebook ads. Because I think if I really did sit down and reflect on it, For what I've invested in Facebook ads over time, I really don't think it's had the return anything like the return. I would say that I would be very much down on my investment in Facebook ads. I'm very much against gambling, but I probably should have just gone and got some lottery tickets. I might have got a better return. So I have been guilty in the past of boosting posts. Oh my gosh, sharp intake of breath. How shameful. I have done that before I knew better. And subsequent to that, I have done ads at times when I wanted to promote my lead magnet or when I've been doing a webinar or when I'm launching something. But I would say by far the best return, the most conversion, if you like, that I have had in those particular campaigns has been from people who are already in my community. Now, it doesn't hurt to look, if you look at Facebook or other paid ads as something that will help to boost your awareness with the audience you already have to get you in front of them, because we know that they often don't see your posts or your stories, then that's a different way of looking at it. But if you're looking at it to generate a good quality audience, it might not be a good investment. It almost certainly won't be a good investment if you don't have a clear purpose and you don't get the professionals in. So if it is something you're going to do, I think in the way that online advertising has developed, it has become a very complex beast. And I would say that it's pretty important now if you want to see a return on your investment that you get someone in who knows what they're doing. But just boosting posts or doing ads to get followers or to get downloads has not been something I have seen a very good return on. And if I had all that money back, I think I would put it into something else. I would invest it in SEO before I would invest it in ads. And that's one thing that I talked about in the last episode was how for me, SEO would be the top of my list from the very beginning in my business. And I would rather get someone in and pay them to look at something like that and look at my website than I would in paid ads, particularly in the early days. So that's my first no, no. And this is just for me. I'm not, this is no comment on you if you are doing it. But if you are doing it, just take the time to go and have a look. Is it paying you? Is it giving you the return that you hope? Because it can be a bit of a money pit. Number two, I would not offer services I don't love just for the revenue. The number of times I've heard myself saying, oh, well, I'm getting paid. And there are other people around me who'd really take that mentality as well. "Well, It doesn't matter as long as you're getting paid. Well, actually, it does. That is what I have come to learn, that if it's not something that you don't want to do, Chances are it'll end up being unprofitable. You will hate doing it, in which case it's not really good for your well-being, And it probably won't make for a great quality outcome or a great quality relationship with the client. So for me, if I had my time again, and from this point forth, <laughs> the same applies, I just wouldn't offer services that I don't love. And I'm talking about doing small design jobs Doing social media management, being there, what was I thinking? It's really not my wheelhouse. Setting up email marketing, I can do it. I can set up MailerLite, I can set up ActiveCampaign, I can do all the templates. Just because I can, doesn't mean that I should. So setting up automations, I have found myself doing that, sometimes because of a sense of obligation to help. Or doing website maintenance, again, not my wheelhouse. I, can, I know my way around it, but it's not what I should be doing. So I have often taken on what I would describe as rats and mice, small jobs, to help or because I have this sense of obligation when really I should have said no. And I was doing it for one of two reasons or two reasons combined, which was I felt that need To help out and felt somehow obliged or a sense of duty to a client, but also I kind of justified it with, oh, well, I'm getting paid. So I was doing it for the revenue. But I actually don't think that ever pays off in the long run. In fact, the list of what I don't want to do (laughs) is so much longer than the list of what I do want to do. And I am much better these days at sticking to that list. And I wish I'd been better sooner. Do I wish? No. Actually, I'm going to take that back. I don't wish I had been better sooner, but I think it would have served me better. It would have served my growth in my business, my profitability probably, had I not done those things. The third thing, which is kind of a little bit linked to what I just talked about, which is taking on clients or persisting with clients who were red flags. Kind of just being a real... and just getting on with it when I probably just should have nipped it in the bud or said no in the beginning so maybe it's a bit easy with hindsight to say that but when you remove scarcity so when you remove that feeling of well I've got to do it I don't want to say no because I'm getting paid and you know what if I don't get another project in which case I've turned down this revenue when you take that sense of pressure out of the equation it does change your perspective because I think that you would likely say no to a lot more things. And I did another episode on this recently. How do you know when to say no to a client? What are the red flags? Because it's not just about hindsight. When you start to look out for the signs, when you start to listen to your intuition, more often than not, you will see it coming. And if you ever hear yourself going, I knew I knew, I should have said yes to that project, Then you did know you just didn't listen to yourself. So if I had my time again from day one, I would not persist with clients who weren't right, who were red flags, and I wouldn't take on clients that weren't right. I've also wasted a lot of time trying to fix a problem because I didn't want to walk away. Because again, I didn't want to walk away from the money, or I didn't want to walk away from the Relationship because I felt guilty when actually I probably should have just politely nipped it in the bud or called it. So that's my third one. Not taking on clients or persisting with clients when things are not right. Number four. Others will tell you, I'll do free work, it'll or I see people in Facebook groups going, I'm taking on, you know, three clients, I'm gonna do work for free just to build up my portfolio. There are so many reasons that I would rather you did passion projects than do free work for other people. The main reason being that they rarely appreciate it and it rarely works out the way that you hoped because there is a power imbalance and you will find yourself doing so much more to try and please that client because they don't really value it because they're not paying for it. I would rather pay for a service and get paid accordingly. So I have done reciprocal work a few times where I have come up with a mutual agreement where, well, you do this for me and I'll do something for you. And it's an exchange of services, not an exchange of money. And it's rarely worked out being fair. So I've done freebies for family and friends or friends of friends, and I just wouldn't do it now. And I've, got into partnerships working partnerships with others where we've had an exchange of services and actually I just wouldn't do it now I would rather that it was a more transparent relationship where they need something from me and they pay me my fees and I want something from them and they pay me my fees and if that works out being about the same great but actually it rarely does so we both get what we want and we pay what it's worth so I wouldn't do free work or reciprocal work from day one. You don't need to do free work to get testimonials, get referrals, build your portfolio, get your foot on the bottom of the ladder. You don't need to do it. You can do work in a perhaps more cost effective way. You can price yourself accordingly, but you should be getting paid something for what you do. Number five, I think that in the past I have felt like The client is king, and I have talked about this, okay? So the client should have total flexibility. They are in charge. They dictate the timeline. To some extent, they dictate the process. And so I have seen it as a positive to be really flexible with the client. However, I would, in hindsight, again, I'm going to use that word so much today. In hindsight, I would not allow the client to be in the driving seat of those things so to tailor the process to what they want or to control the timeline because again it rarely works out for the best and the person who suffers the most is generally me it's unprofitable or the relationship suffers or I don't enjoy what I'm doing or I don't feel good about the work that I produce or it affects my cash flow there's lots of reasons for it so I would be much more stringent and build into my processes ways of really defining my process and sticking with it and having boundaries around the timeline and what's expected of the client. So, for example, I would not remove parts of my process because the client, in commas, didn't want to play for it or could do it themselves. And in particular, this happened to me sometimes with my strategy work in the early days. Clients would say that they would do that work. They could go off and do the research and send me the brand strategy and then I could just do the design bit. Well, that's not the clients I wanted to work with. So I wouldn't change my process. I wouldn't do things like send clients work instead of presenting it because very often that tended to be a point where things went a bit awry. Next minute, the client had shared it with 20 other people, overthought it and then started to come back and try and dictate the design try and redesign the work or be very prescriptive based on 20 people's input instead of me managing that process and presenting face to face so we get into a sort of design by committee kind of scenario i wouldn't be quite so flexible on the timeline allowing the client to delay with their feedback or sit on things for a really long time or not communicate that they were going to be on holiday, for example, or that there were others who were involved in the approval process, which was going to make that a longer process, but they didn't let me know until the last minute. So you can't always know about those things, but you can put in place things to protect yourself. Things like, well, if you don't give me the feedback or give me the information by this point, then I can't guarantee that I'll fit your work in immediately. So your timeline is going to push out, for example. I have found myself committing to deadlines because the client, oh, they really need to get it done. They've got a really pressing deadline of their own. But then what always happens is that they couldn't commit to the truncated deadline either. So they end up being the ones that impact the timeline in the first place. But then you've committed to that truncated deadline. So then it reflects badly on you sometimes. And when I say you, I'm talking about me. (laughs) So I wouldn't do things like be flexible, truncate my timelines that I know are timelines that always end up being realistic. I wouldn't let the client delay without there being some kind of recourse. And I wouldn't let the client change my process. I certainly also would Be a bit more mindful about a client's panic or mismanagement becoming my emergency. There have been times where things have dropped in and I've taken responsibility because the client's forgotten or hasn't done something and now suddenly they need it urgently. And also the pressure to start a project sometimes. So start a project without all the information or without a deposit. But then that always ends up falling over. So I think... With what I know now, I would be much more stringent about my process and my timeline. And I wouldn't bend too much in that if I thought it was going to compromise the outcome. Number six of my, I would not do this now. And I do not do this now, but I wouldn't do it now if I was starting. And that is putting client work before everything, including my well-being. So again, this wasn't done with the knowledge that it was going to have maybe a negative impact to some degree. It was done because I thought I was doing the right thing. I wanted to give my clients a great experience. I wanted to over deliver. And my agency experience was that you work long hours, you over deliver was sort of the norm to be working late at night and to be oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I've got all these clients. You know, that was somehow a bit of a badge of honor. So I took all of that into my own business. So I spent a lot of time working late, saying yes to things when I should have either said, yes, but you'll need to wait. Yes, but there is a cost involved in that. Or no, I can't do that. But I'd say yes, so then I would be, over capacity in my business. So that would impact my working hours and working at weekends and doing all of that and not looking after my business. So whenever something dropped in from the client, I would always find it very easy to push all of my own business needs or my personal needs for that matter out of the way to do that client work. And I thought that was just the right way. I thought I was doing the right thing by putting the client first. And I'm not saying that I don't put the client's needs as a priority. What I'm saying is I don't put them before my own well-being or the survival or the sustainability of my business. And that's just about balance. And a, an example of this was, I once took on, this, this takes in so many of my would not dos. <laughs> so this was some um, reciprocal work that I did at one point. So there was a quick pro quo, I'll do some work for you and I will get this in return. What ended up happening with that client is, first and foremost, the, the reciprocal project exploded. Like the scope just went triple, four times, five times what was originally discussed but that particular person was so demanding is all i can say and i you know i don't mean it to sound like a, a criticism but they were a very demanding very high paced very type a can i say person and so as the scope exploded i my feet just didn't touch the ground I was under the pump to deliver that project. And I never once stopped to say, oh, hold on, we're going way out of what is now a good reciprocal arrangement. I'm doing so much more than I will ever get back from you. And I felt like I over-delivered in that situation so much. And I gave so much to that particular relationship. And at times, I really felt like that project almost broke me. I've never felt so overwhelmed or so out of control in a project situation. And it was made worse by the fact that it was reciprocal. So I wasn't actually really getting paid. And I put that client's work above everything. I was working so many hours. I had other personal commitments at the time and they really suffered. And I just wouldn't do that again. I would call it so much earlier, put the brakes on and not let that client... Well, essentially, if I'm being honest, be such a bully (laughs) and really just drive me to do what they needed and what they wanted within ridiculous timeframes. So that was a real learning for me is it's not always a good thing to be putting the client first. In fact, it's probably almost never a good thing if it's to the detriment of you or your business. So I wouldn't be doing that now from the start. And that really comes back to boundaries, doesn't it? Setting really firm boundaries and sticking to them. Another thing I would not do, and I think again, this is cultural and it feels like it's the right thing, is over-investing. Particularly over-investing in terms of time, but also over-investing in terms of creative products. And I'll talk about that in a sec, but over-investing in terms of time. So both upfront, but also during a project. So for me, that's particularly in terms of meetings. So meetings during a project, I specify perhaps a certain number of meetings and I don't rigidly stick to that, but there are a certain number of meetings I would expect to have in the brand strategy phase, in the creative phase of my projects. And there are times where some clients do or could go way outside of that. And I really need to pull them back into that and remind myself and remind them about what's reasonable and what's included. But in the past, I have overinvested in meetings massively. So time being in meetings, but also traveling for meetings. There was a time where I would have thought nothing about driving for an hour just to go and attend a 30-minute meeting. And I think perhaps we've got COVID to thank for that, where we realise we really don't have to be sitting in a room with a client to still get the absolute best result. It's actually just, to some degree, not necessary. Yes, it's nice sometimes to go and meet with a client, maybe in the first instance. I rarely do it now, though. But I have had clients where I have gone and travelled for meetings once a week or once a fortnight. And it's just, that's such a large amount of wasted time. It's an overinvestment. And the other area for me where I've over is in discovery calls. I have, in the past, not vetted my discovery calls very well. And I've ended up having hour-long, if not more, discovery calls with people who are just picking my brains, getting all of my input. I've done research in preparation for that call. And I've given a lot. And sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. And in the early days, when I wasn't even vetting those people, a lot of those calls wouldn't go anywhere because... They just weren't right for me or my fees weren't right for them. So I would be a lot clearer on what time I should invest at what point in the client relationship and not be reluctant to put a cap on that and flag it when it's perhaps getting a little bit out of hand. Number eight for me is around referrals and managing referrals. So first and foremost, I... I'm quite mindful about the referrals that I give. I really have to trust someone and have to have experienced their service myself in order to refer them on. There have been times in the past where I've made referrals and they didn't go well. So I've referred a client to someone else and that client's ended up coming back to me because they felt they didn't get a good experience and they want me to step in and sort of help them out. So by making the referral, I've sort of put myself in a position of responsibility. It's not to say that I don't want to give referrals and I do give referrals to a very select, let's say, group of service providers who I know and trust, but I don't give referrals lightly because I have been burnt by that in the past. But also, I have been a little bit burnt by staying involved in the referral process. So after the referral's been made, I've sort of stayed in touch and maybe helped the client through that a little bit and given quite a lot of my time to support them through that where I wasn't getting paid for it. And whilst the client probably appreciated it, maybe they didn't see the full value in it. So for me, I would just be much more mindful about referrals from the beginning and maybe set up more robust strategic partnerships so I could really trust those referrals in the early days, but also set some boundaries around what that referral meant. So once I passed the client on, that was then a relationship between them and that referee, not me. I was stepping out of it. And I maybe hadn't always been black and white enough about that. Number nine in my do not do's. And again, this comes back to some of the cultural hangover for me from agency. And that is a term that I've heard used so many times back in the day, evidence of industry. And we would sometimes go and present five or six concepts to a to a client maybe produced by two or three designers who were involved in the process and really that was giving the client too much but at the time we felt like that was a good way to justify our fee and I think that might happen a fair bit in agency or certainly it used to maybe we're better at, at it now so I have been guilty in my own business of presenting too many options. And it really was that sort of scarcity mindset or feeling like I needed to justify my, my fee by giving them lots. But actually my learning is two to three as a maximum, that I've really crafted, I really believe in, and I've invested my strategic energy into, is by far the better way to go. So now I am far more restrained in what I present, because in the past, when I've presented essentially too much in the hopes that something will stick with the client, it's actually ended up having the opposite effect. And it's either confused the client, sent them into overwhelm, they haven't been able to decide, and in some ways, it's potentially derailed the project. So, again, in thinking I was doing a good thing, I actually ended up sending the client into a bit of a tailspin. And finally, number 10, number 10 in my top 10 of I would not do this if I was starting my business today is worry about what other people think, worry about what they think of my work, worry about what they think of what I've got to say, worried about sharing my opinion, worried about sharing myself. Because I felt people might not like me or people might not agree with me or people might criticize me or people might think my work's not good enough or my work not, might not stand up to this well-known designer or this highly accredited designer or agency or that my past colleagues might see the work that I was doing and I obviously was working with smaller clients in different industries and they might sniff at that and turn their nose up at that and think that I'd sold out in some way. So I've worried a lot in my life about what other people think. Think of me, think of my opinions, think of my process, my approach and my work. And if I was starting today, I would do a lot more work on myself to deal with that sooner, to help myself get past that sooner. Because I've carried that burden for a little bit too long and it never has served me so there we have it my top 10 I would not do's listen to this in conjunction with my top 10 I would do's if I was now a startup and hopefully you'll get some really good ideas some inspiration and maybe even some oh I might not continue to do that either so just to maybe recap on those 10 I would not pay for Facebook ads or any other paid advertising in the early days I wouldn't offer services I don't love just for the money, just for the revenue. I wouldn't take on clients or persist with clients when they were essentially red flags or they weren't right for my business. I would not do free or reciprocal quid pro quo type work. I wouldn't let clients in the false belief that this is about being flexible and this is about being a professional and this is what clients need. I wouldn't let them tailor my process or control the timeline. I would manage that more closely. I wouldn't put client work above everything else, particularly above the health of my business and my own health and well-being. I would stop over-investing, over-investing in meetings, over-investing in discovery calls, travelling for meetings when it wasn't necessary, really doing unnecessary things because I felt that it was adding value and I felt like it was what I should do. I would manage referrals differently. And make some clear boundaries in there, draw a clear line in the sand and perhaps be a lot more confident in who I was referring to. I would be a lot tighter in what I was putting in front of the client in terms of creative options and hone things much more and offer Only a few options rather than that idea of evidence of industry. I'm going to show them lots. And then, of course, they will, A, be so grateful for what I've done. B, they'll think they've made a fantastic investment and I'll justify my fee. And B, they're bound to like one of them. I wouldn't do that. And I don't do that now. And finally, like I said, I would stop worrying about what other people think. Think about me. Think about what I've got to say. Think about my work. Think about anything. I would just do me do me in a nice way, do me in a respectful way, but just do me. So my lovely, thank you for being here. Have a fantastic day. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and I hope you can join me next time for the C podcast because I love chatting to you and I cannot wait to do it again soon. Thank you so much for joining me, Beck Hughes, on the C Word podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe, leave a review and share with your friends and business buddies who might like to listen in too. The music for this podcast is by Red Productions on Pixabay.